And we are live. And hello, everybody. I am the original gamer, Stevie Stroh. And with me, uh, I'm very pleased to, um, to bring to everybody Jerry Garcia of the Buckner Garcia Band from this album here. The greatest number one hit of 1982, still selling today. And before I say anything else, I think the best person to introduce Buckner Garcia right now is Mr. Dick Clark himself. So let's uh, take a look at this real quick. Jerry, Gary, Buckner Garcia. Is that, did I sort it out right? That's correct. All right. What inspired you? Well, we were playing the game last summer, and uh, in fact, we'll play any game. <laughs> we love to play games and uh, had so much fun with it, decided that... Uh, Let's do a record. What will this craziness do to your lives? Will you stay as record producers and writers? Will it take you into other fields? Where's it going to go from here? Uh, well, the new album's coming out, and it's got a lot of other video game material songs <laughs> on it. More? <laughs> oh, we got, a, we got a whole bunch of them. We've got songs like Do the Donkey Kong, Ode to a Centipede, Froggy's Lament, all game songs, Mousetrap, Berserk, and it, uh, it's opening up a lot of avenues that we weren't uh, expecting, so we're just kind of going to follow the road and take it wherever it leads us. Ladies and gentlemen, Buckner and Garcia. <laughs> All right, there we go. So that was Mr. Clark himself. And so with us on the main screen right now is Jerry Buckner of Buckner Garcia. I also want to um, say hi to Alan Huffman down there who made all of this possible. And my interview co-host, Curtis Boyle. And before we get started, I just want to say one thing in the immortal worlds, in the immortal words of Wayne and Garth. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. We're not all right so we are ready to begin this interview jerry i cannot thank you enough for agreeing to do this with us it is an honor it is a privilege to have you um this album has brought me many great memories through the years i still have my original vinyl um and for the past week straight i've been listening to the, the cd version and your commentary version on a continuous loop so it's just burned into my brain and um thank you thank you for being here well thank you for having me on the program i'm, I'm happy to be here steve and i'm happy to see uh, alan and curtis joining us today and uh, let me get one thing uh, correct one thing you said jerry garcia jerry i'm sorry i'm sorry brain freeze yeah i know uh, jerry buckner gary garcia i knew that was that, gonna happen i've said well, it a million times you know i wouldn't <laughs> even bring it up except uh we had in the early days that got mixed up a lot in fact uh when they uh when they were doing uh, uh the casey Kasem countdown show uh the first week they said that you know and they had to get that corrected it was a little confusing but that's okay nope nope it happens all the time Oh my God, that's bad. I was saying to Curtis earlier too. I go, I go, I go. I know I'm going to screw this up because I've been saying <laughs> yeah. this so many times, and I did. It's all right. Oh, it's all right. oh how gotta, are the great? Like, like a football, it's like in a football game. You got to get the quarterback gets to get hit right in the uh, beginning, and he's yeah. comfortable. So we're ready to go. Yeah. Got to get it out of the way right at the beginning. Now we're oh man. So uh, we already have some people watching us live. So Paco Atakte is here. Panda Gamers here, and Rex is here. So they're all saying hi. Let me start off by just saying some facts that I have come across um, by doing my a little bit of my homework here. So uh, Pac-Man Fever, obviously the big hit that um, we're you know we're all familiar with. Um, so Pac-Man Fever, you recorded this in your apartment, Jerry. You. Um, 
or you wrote, you wrote it in the front room of your apartment. Um, you guys pressed this as a single. None of the record companies wanted this song. They didn't think it was a hit. They didn't. Most of them didn't even know what Pac-Man was at the time. That's how new all of this was. Um, so what you did is you had it released as an independent single. Uh, it played a few times in Atlanta, and within seven days sold over 10,000 copies, which is absolutely amazing. Um, at that point, CBS says, okay, we want to have this. We want the single, and we want an entire album from you guys. So um, that started. You wanted to include some original pop songs. And I go, no, 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 we don't want any pop songs. We just want video game songs. Um, and in about two weeks time, you not only had to figure out what games you wanted to record songs from, but you recorded and produced the album in about two weeks, which is absolutely amazing. Um, the single and the album both went gold, selling over two and a half million copies worldwide. Pac-Man Fever reached number nine on the Billboard Top 100 chart. Um, you wanted a follow-up sequel to this that was E.T. I Love You, which hopefully we'll play during this interview. Um, and uh, the studio says, no, we don't want to do E.T. We want to do Donkey Kong and we want to do um, Neil Diamond. So, you know, some unobscure schmuck named Neil Diamond. They wanted him to do the E.T. song. <laughs> they didn't want two, two E.T. songs from the same record label. So that song never made it, which I think would have been huge. Uh, and then you released this CD in 1999, you know, a few years later. And when you went to do that, you couldn't get your original recording. So you actually re-recorded the entire album in 99. Um, and then in 2011, Pac-Man Fever, along with the game, were named by People Magazine number 210 out of a thousand of the greatest moments in pop culture. So that's a little introduction to who we're talking to and what we're talking about. Did I get all my facts pretty close there, Jerry? I think the, inter I think the interview's over. I, think <laughs> I don't know what to add to that. It is absolutely amazing. You've, it's, done, your, um, you've done your homework, that's for sure. Because <laughs> um, there's some people watching us now who are under 30, probably, and as sadly, not everybody even knows who Dick Clark is. And so the fact that you guys were on American Bandstand, you know, that was the biggest show there was. Dick Clark was the man. Dick Clark is who Ryan Seacrest wants to be now, you know. Um, so, you know, Dick Clark had the American Bandstand, had like the $10,000 Pyramid, the game shows, TV's bloopers and practical jokes, the uh, New Year's Eve countdown, you know. So um, that's it was huge is for you to have that number one single and be on that show was the biggest thing that could happen at this time in the history. And and it's absolutely amazing. So, um, uh, you know, like I said, yeah, it I truly can't... was. You know, we 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 grew up watching uh, American Bandstand, like you know everyone else uh, our in our age group, and uh, to actually go there and meet him and be on the show was very surreal for us. It was, uh, uh, I was probably the most terrified in my life uh, being on that show, uh, actually doing it. It was just, um, uh, it, we got to meet. You know, he came to our uh, dressing room before the show and walks in the door and here's here he is in blue jeans and a sweatshirt and uh and, and that famous voice that you've heard for all those years and you know hey how you doing guys and we're just sitting sitting there staring at him you know i mean we're just right like, we we don't know what to do and our manager who had been managed a lot of big different acts he, he knew dick and everything and so dick sits down puts his foot up on the table and he starts talking to us and telling us what he's going to do and he says i'll ask you some questions and he throws a question at us and we just look at him and he goes, guys, it's TV. It's TV. <laughs> you, got, you got to talk. You got to do something. And so, yeah, we, it was. Uh, uh, and, and we went out the door of the dressing room. We were right next to Huey Lewis and the News. Uh, they were they, they were shooting uh, six shows that day. And uh, and we go down there. And I'm thinking. I'm saying. I hope they I hope he asks you the question first. You know, on the interview. But of course, I get the question, and uh, said something stupid. I don't remember what I said. But it was it was just a thrill. He was very good to us. He was a very nice man. 
Uh, he played our second song on his show. We promoted our album and single. Uh, he had a big national radio show, too. And I can't say enough, n- enough nice things about Dick Clark. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a true American legend, a class act. And kind of like, you know, what Johnny Carson was to late night television, Dick Clark was to music and, and all other things, you know, just yeah, uh, perfect. Uh, yeah. Perfect uh, comparison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's pretty well uh, there for the whole history of rock and roll, too. Yeah, so. yeah. And he was one of those guys where no matter how long you watched him on TV, it looked like he never aged, too, because he was on TV when it was still black and white. My parents watched Dick Clark. I watched Dick Clark. And I kept saying, yeah, this guy just doesn't age, you know? Um, yeah. He, yeah. He, he was amazing. He just, he, I read his biography and he said that he couldn't attribute it to anything, but. Uh, it was just ran in the you know ran in his family, but yeah, he looked uh, he looked great. I mean, yeah, even when old. And I must say, you were, you were holding up quite well too, Jerry. <laughs> yeah, it was oh, fascinating it. back then. Before there was YouTube, and and if you didn't have cable, this was the only way I ever saw what these guys look like was watching that when it first aired on TV. Other than that, it was just a song that came on the radio, and you could you know see an LP at the record store. Well, yeah, going on that show just solidified you know that you'd arrived. Uh, in, in the music world, and it just, uh, it was just an, an, an amazing adventure, and uh, uh, I, I remember that uh, when he, at the end of the interview, or at the end of the second song, which nobody remembers, we did two songs, uh, he walks up towards you, and he says, and he's, his back's to the camera, and he says, take a bow, guys, take a bow. I mean, they had that down, that whole show, they'd done it so long, uh, and the amplifiers and all the stuff was just dummy stuff, it wasn't real stuff. And man, they pumped the music loud because you know you're lip syncing the song, and they pumped it really loud. I mean, everything was—it was just a you know top-notch, professional run deal. I bet, I bet. Uh, and I noticed too that um, Gary was playing the guitar in the video. Did Gary play guitar as well? Because his uh, his working on the solo looked pretty legit. Uh, Gary was a guitar player. Okay. He played guitar. He, li- he, he liked to play bass, actually, towards okay. the end of our career. But he played guitar. But he did not play that uh, solo on the on the original solo. That was played by a guy named Rick Hinkle, uh, here a musician in, here in Atlanta, and a, an incredible musician, still is, still still playing. And uh, he actually played the plays. Now, Gary could play the solo if he mm-hmm. wanted to, but, uh, but we produced it. You know, we wanted to bring someone in. Gary wanted to help produce and not play. So yeah, he can play guitar. He play real good guitar. Good, good. That's cool. Yeah, I was I was watching that. And I just thought that was so cool to see you guys in the studio. I can't play too much of it because it's copyrighted by Dick Clark. But if you guys find that video on YouTube, I'll put a link to it later on in this video. Um, it was really cool to see that video and see the people chomping their Pac-Man hands in the audience and how the lights went back and forth and made you guys look like you're in a video game. It was well produced and um, it, was, it was a big, big time. Um, so I know Curtis has some questions, and, and, and uh, I'm sure Alan has some questions, too. There's a lot of things we're going to talk about. So, um, Curtis, okay. do you want to start with your question? Like, in the beginning, there was light, and then there was Buckner and Garcia. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah my, my first question is, um, like, from reading the bios and stuff, you and your partner there kind of got together in high school uh, and, and had a band and stuff. And I was just wondering, what got the two of you interested in music? Did you guys get interested in music at the same time? Uh, how do, what actually got you into the first playing it and then into actually writing it? Hello. Uh, can you guys hear me? I'm, the Skype is kind of breaking up. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can. We can hear you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's been sure. kind of coming. It's been kind of coming in and out. So if if you see me, I, I can't hear. But go ahead. And I can hear you now. 
Okay. I'm just wondering, uh, how, did, how did you and your partner get interested in music? Like, I've, I've read that you guys started in high school together and, and formed a band. What, what, what got you interested in music in the first place, and what got you interested in then writing music? Well, I had started taking piano lessons when I was a kid. My dad, uh, my dad sang gospel music, and I think he wanted me to... Uh, he, he was trying to learn to play piano, and he was struggling with it, and I could hear songs and just play them. So he said, you're taking the lessons. So I started at, at a young age of eight playing songs, and then when I got into high school, uh, and, and Gary, the same same thing, back in the mid-60s, you know, early in mid-60s, when the Beatles hit and all that, I mean, everybody wanted to have a band. So uh, I had a band at the time. Gary had a band. Gary's first band was called Biggie and His Rat, and it was <laughs> Gary and a drummer. That was it, just Gary and wow. a drummer. And I saw them, uh, you know, we went to school together through junior high and high school, but he played for some kind of a dance thing after school with his band. He said, come down and hear us. So I did, and, uh, you know, it was pretty horrible uh but i was so impressed that you know he had was playing guitar and all that and uh in fact the microphone he said when he was singing uh it was shocking him from his you know uh saliva you know singing and he said it was horrible he said the whole time he was shocked anyway that was his first band then gary had a band and started playing at a club and there was teen clubs every night i mean uh, that's I started. Uh, you know, my band was called uh, the Rogues Incorporated. <laughs> I thought it sounded English, and Gary's band was called the Outlaws originally. And uh, in fact, the band that became the Outlaws, one of those guys is from Akron. I, we think he stole the name. Anyway, uh, so uh, uh, Gary was playing. I was playing. I mean, we were playing every night, and I was making for a, a kid in high school. You know, I was making pretty decent bucks per week. I remember they wanted me to play football, and I thought. Well, I don't want to go out there and get beat up and everything versus I'm um, playing in a club, you know, meeting girls and, and, and making money. And, you know, who wants to do that? Uh, so uh, the, I guess I'm making this a long winded answer, but uh, we both were playing, both had bands. And then as as high school uh, ended, uh, then we got together and formed a, a band, you know, of our own and started playing together. Gary and I did a lot of a duo work. Uh, he and I would just, you, you mentioned guitar, he liked to play uh, acoustic rhythm. And we we would go, we'd, we'd go near some, we would play anywhere. You know, we just loved to play and sing. We'd be in a mall, if there was a piano there, we'd play and we'd draw a huge crowd. People stand there and we'd get offered jobs and everything. We were in an ice cream parlor one time, they had an old piano and we played in there and the guy went to hire us. But uh, so we were playing all the time, playing, playing, and, uh, and then started in writing songs, trying to learn how to write songs. And working in studio and then i moved to atlanta georgia and gary uh followed me about uh, a year or two later and we started doing uh, jingles and uh and so that's kind of our you know music that's how we got into it in high school and then continued on as a, as a team and from jingles to songs and uh you know and, and from there on the stuff we did that's that's cool that's yeah. I had a question about the jingles too, because when you hear jingles, were these just like um, like call signs for the stations themselves, or were they like commercials for you know local businesses and stuff like that as well? Oh, they were client jingles. We started doing them in Akron. Uh, it was working with a guy at a radio station uh, who would uh, feed us businesses that were buying time on the station, and then we would do a little demo thing and try to sell it to them, and then the guy would take a cut. Uh, and we didn't get hardly anything. There was a place in Akron uh, where we were from called Nelson Stag Shop. And I think there was two or three clothings, they were clothing stores. And they were the hip place to go. And we did a commercial for them. It was a pretty cool commercial. And uh, 
I, I think I made 50 bucks on this. And they played this thing night and day. They, I mean, they're on it. <laughs> and I remember pulling into a McDonald's one day. I had 19 cents in my pocket. I think I had, in those days it was enough to buy an orange drink. And I'm sitting there, and on the radio comes this commercial. And I, I learned a lesson that day. You know, man, I don't have any money. And, you know, so, uh, but that's how we started doing little jingles like that. And then when we came to Atlanta, we got into doing uh, stuff for bigger companies and so forth. But yeah, we, we didn't do, uh, it wasn't for radio. It was it okay. Was all so they're commercials, basically radio commercials. Right, and and a jingle is like uh, for those who don't even know, like a jingle is like the catchy song that you remember. It's just got a nice little hook to it, and it's just you you remember the song, and you remember, you know, you 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 remember the you remember the company because of the the cool song they play. Yeah, you, you grow know? to you grow to hate them usually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's it's amazing how we have this musical memory. It's like in our DNA. I, I can remember lyrics to songs I've heard, but I can't remember a conversation I had 20 minutes ago. You know, but uh, yeah, I, I just think there's something musical about us as human creatures. That's pretty cool. That appeals you know, to everybody. It's, it's funny you bring that up. There was a weird sensation like playing. I played in, in clubs for years. You know, in club bands, and you could be sitting at a table and somebody asked you about a song or whatever, and you, you couldn't really bring it up or the lyrics. But when you went on stage and started playing, it just all came to you. You know, you could. You could you could think of a song to play and you could know the lyrics, but when you weren't on stage, it was like you really had to dig deep. I never understood that. I, I don't know why that was like that. Strange. Yeah. yeah, Rex in the chat just gives us an example of the McDonald's, uh, you know, jingle like ba da ba ba ba. I'm loving it. You know, that's a, yeah. a perfect example of a. Uh, uh, <laughs> jingle yeah, three million there. bucks for somebody to go. I'm loving it. You know, I'm, I'm loving it. <laughs> hey, Brian, welcome to the live chat. Uh, uh, Brian, who's in the chat now, says that he grew up around the area of Akron, Ohio, as well. So, yeah, a lot of great groups and artists come out of Akron in the Akron Cleveland area. I mean, there were a ton of guys, uh, you know, Devo come out of there, Joe Walsh played up oh, there. Wow. Joe. Uh, I try. I talked to Joe one time about being in my band. Believe it or not, back in the early wow. days. Wow! Wow! He was playing in Kent at a Kent was a, Kent State University up there, Kent the town, and it was a big club town, you know, for the college people. And he played up there with a group called the Measles, and they broke up at the time or something. I mean, this is way back, a long time. And I I called him, and he said, "Well, come on up, and we'll talk." And I went up to Kent trying to find his living in a barn or something somewhere. I don't I don't remember <laughs> so long ago, and. Uh, Anyway, we ended up not getting together, and then somebody else, another guitar player, we got him in the group. I mean, Joe would have lasted with with that band about five minutes. I mean, we right. were not very, not very good, but uh, but he was a great guitarist. But yeah, it was Joe Walsh that come out of there. Uh, a lot of you know, a lot of a lot of artists uh, came out of there that area. Can you imagine Joe Walsh singing something like "My Pac-Man cost me twenty-five"? No, I don't <laughs> I think I lost don't my think. money. <laughs> it would be a different album with Joe Walsh. I it. sure would have loved to hear his guitar solo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh my nice. God! Yeah, that's awesome. Um, what was I going to say? So I know I know Curtis has, has some more questions here too. I want to get into playing some of the songs here too, so everybody can hear these songs. Um, and uh, I, I think I think one of the things that was also mentioned, even by Dick Clark, we were just talking about Akron being uh, you know big an area. You know, Dick was saying that that is like a lot of rock and roll came from there too in that original interview. Um, and and um, Dick had also asked you guys, uh, you know, what inspired you to you know make a song about this game. And for people who don't realize this, like in 1980, 1981, uh, this was like 
a new thing and parents were a lot of parents were just you know kind of upset over the fact that their kids were spending all their time playing video games and not doing their homework and doing their chores and stuff and they're worried about it you know the uh, the decline of american values and everything so it was an exciting thing but i think some people also looked at it as uh, a frustrating thing at least some of the parents and so um getting back to the question is like okay so what you know what inspired you to make a song about pac-man <laughs> Well, I, we were, uh, as I say, we were doing jingles at the time, but uh, after the jingles, we would work on songs. We'd have a little bit of studio time left, and we would, you know, record. I mean, we had tons of stuff, and a lot of the stuff is on the Pac-Man Peeper Vault. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, we would record songs, and we were trying to uh, to promote songs and, and, and have a hit record and make it, you know, as a group or a duo, whatever. So we were doing those two things, and, uh, uh, and, and at the time... Uh, and this is like you say, it's hard for people to understand now that weren't living in that time. But the Pac-Man, uh, all that stuff uh, prior, uh, there was a Pong game that first came out where, you know, you'd sit in, in a, a little dot thing. I mean, that was a big deal. People actually paid quarters to play that. Uh, when Pac-Man <laughs> came along, it, uh, we, were, we were eating in a little restaurant uh, up in Marietta, Georgia, between we, the studio was close to there. And we'd go there and grab a bite to eat if we were working late. And we're in there one night, and we see this machine, and people are playing it, and we go, you know, what's that? So we start playing it. Well, you know, like everybody else, we get hooked in this thing. And we started spending more time playing Pac-Man than back in the studio working. So it uh, it came to me one day. I thought, you know, what if we should do a song that you know, might help us with our jingle business, get a little local play? So uh, Gary and I uh, worked on it and took it to uh, Bowie Geller organization in Atlanta. They had the Atlanta Rhythm Section. They had... Uh, 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 Alicia Bridges, uh, I love the nightlife. They had a bunch of uh, and, and uh, a bunch of big acts, and so uh, they uh, they they said, okay, let's try it. And they let us go to the studio and record it. So the inspiration was, uh, we thought it would help with our jingle business. We we really had no idea that it would be what it became and what it still is. I mean, we just it, it's just amazing. Uh, the record when it took off uh there was a local station here big rock station at the time and arnie took it to new york none of the record companies even understood what pac-man was and they they had no uh they had no desire to uh uh play the record uh, or buy the record so um uh, he, they uh, uh uh put it out locally here and uh and got a guy at this uh, morning show to play it and it, it absolutely exploded. Uh, the guy in the morning show played it twice and this had to play it twice in the same hour, which if you know anything about radio, that's they just don't do that. At least they didn't used to. Right. And he said over the air publicly, he said to our manager, he said to Arnie, he says, Arnie, you need to get this thing out. It's unbelievable. And the phones were exploding. And uh, many of the stations that played it said it reminded them of the early days of the Beatles, not comparing us to the Beatles. I don't mean that, but talking about the, the excitement of it and the talking popularity. about popularity. Yeah, the request yes. and how it swept yeah. the country. Wow. Uh, and the phone would just, would just light up like a Christmas tree. And uh, what really kicked it off is when uh, Entertainment Tonight did a story. Oh, sorry. Entertainment Tonight did a story. And after that, the TV was so powerful. And that just, man, it yeah. just exploded. Yeah. This and I'm going to play a clip from Pat Man Fever in just a second here. But this, what you just struck on, is this how America was versus how America is now. But being heard on the radio was huge. That was about the only way a song could could it. be circulated. And you're talking about this is the Atlanta market. Now, Atlanta's a big city, but you yep. were played only on a local station in Atlanta, 
and 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 the response was huge and like in in one of the facts that i came across was that after hearing that you sold 10,000 copies by being played only a couple of times on just you know a few radio stations in one city um radio radio and television really were our portals to the world back then in a completely different way because it was a small world and there were only a few few channels even at that time you know um, so that's absolutely amazing. Let me go ahead and play a clip from this. It's about a minute and a half. I'm going to play the original version of Pac-Man Fever for everybody to hear, in case somebody's never heard this song before. And then if you want to talk more about it. And after then, I think, I think it'd be also kind of cool as well to show the 2015 version of this as well, you know, the new version of Pac-Man Fever. So sit back and relax, boys and girls. I'm Casey Kasem, and here's Pac-Man Fever. Pac-Man Fever. That gives me chills. <laughs> it gives me chills. And um, as I mentioned, I've been listening to this album a lot for this past week. It's been in my headphones. It's been in the car. I've been listening to it. Uh, uh, Gary had an amazing voice and an amazing range because you've got a nice gravelly sound like that. He's got some really clean, melodic uh, stuff he does and one of the things that came to mind when I was hearing some of this is it kind of reminds me of there's like a, a little hint of Molly Hatchet in his voice too I think in some of these tracks a little bit of southern rock and, at times um, but I really dig it and that was that was great <laughs> I love that song it, you know I, I wanted to mention some of the story you were, when you're talking about that era and what was going on uh, we had to we had to do a, a Nickelodeon Nickelodeon was fairly new at the time uh, and we had to do that. Uh, there was a show on there where it was kind of like a, it was a, uh, a audience talk kind of show with a younger guy as the host, and they had a you know audience with kids. And so we were on there to perform the songs and then be interviewed and talk. Well, they had it was an hour long show and they had a bunch of different guests. So they had us in the green room there in uh, the Ed Sullivan Theaters where they filmed it. So we're sitting up there and the, the room's full of people. Well, it turns out that there was a group of, 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 of ladies who had formed some sort of a uh, group or whatever, anti-video game group. And they had been getting a lot of press, and a lot of publicity, and they were, you know, against the games, and they were destroying the children and all this stuff. So there's like three of them in, in, our, in the green room there with us. Plus they had a couple other uh, TV people, stars in there. They had, and then they had some guys from the game industry they were going to have on the show. Well... We're sitting there, you know, waiting to go on. And they get into it with the, the game guys. You know, they're back and forth and everything. So Gary and I are sitting to the left. And I'm thinking, wow, when they find out that we're sitting there, you know, because with our record, we're really promoting this stuff. 
they're really going to tear into us. So I'm kind of just huddled over here, you know, letting them go at it. And suddenly the lady sitting next to me turns to me and she says, are you, are you the guys that do the, the Pac-Man record? And I, you know, reluctantly said, you know, yes. And she says, my daughter loves that record. We have it. Will you please autograph? And she went, oh, yeah. <laughs> couldn't have been nicer. Couldn't have been nicer. <laughs> and then turned around, immediately walked out on national TV and was telling how horrible the video game industry was. <laughs> it was crazy, crazy times. Oh, human nature at its finest. That is something. <laughs> we used um, to go, when we'd come into a town, uh, if we'd come into a town and go to a video game uh, place, something they always liked to do, and everybody thought they were the only ones to think of this, but they would, they would uh, try to, uh, you know, if they had local news there or something, they would... They'd want us to play their best player. You know, we want you guys, somebody to play. Ah, uh, okay, the, well, local, I mean, we the town champion. You know, <laughs> we weren't that good. Yeah, they got some, yeah. you know. So here we go, you know, we're getting these 10-year-old kids just killing us, you know. With, you know <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have that happening to me today right now. So, yeah, yeah. I, can, I can relate. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, huge, huge song, Pac-Man Fever. It is, uh, you know, when you did it as a single, the single was released first before you did the album. Um, and then the album was kind of a rapid request from the studio, basically wanting to cash in on this popularity. Isn't it ironic oh, yeah. how you go from, uh, well, we don't even know what Pac-Man Fever is, and we think this song is, you know, not a good song, to, oh, my God, yeah, we want an quick. album of this song. So They learn quick. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, you want me to go ahead and play the 2015 version of Pac-Man Fever, the remix? Because I think it's a pretty cool mix and it's a good video. Yeah, we thought it was time maybe to, to, do, uh, to do an updated version of it. Uh, there's so much going on. I mean, it's amazing how uh, it's, it, you know, we, uh, we were on uh, the, Gold, the Goldbergs. They used it last season. Oh. Uh, I think we're going to be, they're going to use it on The Family Guy. Uh, they're talking about some Netflix show. I can't think of the name of it. But I mean, it, it just continues on and on and on. So we thought, well, let's do a little bit of an updated version. So that's what we did. Some people like it and some people, you know, are not happy. They like the original version and they don't want the part with the guy rapping. Yeah. Uh, Richie yeah. Knuckles. I don't know if you know who Richie Knuckles is. Uh, Richie's a good friend. He's very well known in the, uh, in, in the uh, video game world. And uh, Richie, like I said, good friends, but he said, man, you have to put, you know, the rap thing. And, you know, I said, well, we wanted to kind of update it. So anyway, yeah, yeah we'd love to play it. Yeah, I, I liked it, too. And, um, you know, there's certain things like you can remake songs or remake movies. But if you hold on to the core and the essence of it and if it's done well, I think it's good. And I really enjoyed that. I think that was done well, here. I'm, yeah. In the video, let me just say the video, uh, we get uh, we're, we just passed five million views and it keeps building every day. And we're so thrilled with that and happy. And we love people to come listen to it. So. Yeah, all right, here we go. I'm going to play the whole thing because it's awesome, especially towards the end. Okay. I got a pocket full of quarters and I'm headed to the arcade. I don't have a lot of money, but I'm bringing everything I made.
attack, dude. In my belly, cause you wiggity wiggity whack, dude. I eat up challenges while they super damage Suckers get served like pork chop sandwiches. You just a fruit in a maze with no replace that's out of order. I'm like that player in the game who dropped my scores on just one quarter. Come on, say something right. Increase my appetite. I'm in a hunger seizure. Damn, I should have mentioned I got Batman fever. It's driving me crazy. That was pretty sweet. That was pretty sweet. Yeah, um, they, uh, Steelhouse Productions uh, did the video on that, and it just a trem wow. tremendous job. I, I think when we saw it, we were just blown away. We thought it was just great. It is. I was well, just about to ask you if you guys had any creative input into the video, or if that was something they just did and you saw afterwards. Well, no, we we uh, had come upon uh, part. They had done. They had done a, a work on. In fact, they got a movie that's going to come out uh, that had sections of this in there. But we had we saw that and we got with them and talked to them and they said they would like to do uh, a video to our song so they did and uh, some of the parts in there is in their movie that's going to come out but a lot of it's original obviously where the the characters are singing and everything I mean they spent a lot of time on it and, yeah I mean, that, yeah it's just a, a great video we those guys are terrific if you ever need video stuff Steelhouse Productions yeah we'll certainly do that and when this video is done and final and, and people can play it later I'll have links to everything in this video um, later on for that I want to switch to my camera full screen for just a second to show something off because there's a line in the song that I think is really cool and it's worth talking about because um, Gary says I got all the patterns down you know all the way up to the ninth key and an interesting thing about the album too is that instead of there being liner notes you guys actually had in the album the patterns to the game and this was one of those games where uh, during this time you could buy a book called video game secrets and stuff like that and you could buy a book to learn all the patterns to the games because the games were kind of pre-programmed and there were ways that you could learn how to how to play the game so i just think it's kind of cool that you know that's one of the lines i got i got all the patterns down you know and so it's something that if you were there at that time it makes perfect sense you know it's just so cool and they had that kind of remix it at the end there i got all the patterns down you know it's just it's so melodic too what what i find to be utterly amazing is then I don't know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure the people who are the fans agree with me, but I don't know if history and, and music and everything else um, looks at it the same way. But the album is an amazing album. The music is really good, well written and produced music. These are great melodic pop songs. Um, and it's, it's definitely a sign of the time because your average song length is about three and a half minutes. And as I'm recording all of these clips, within about a minute to a minute and a half, you get the intro, you get the verse, you get the chorus, and it's all happening right away. 
way because of how songs had to be played on the radio too. That was the normal thing. Like, you know, a three minute song was about radio length. And you think of songs like Stairway to Heaven and Freebird, it was unusual to play them because they were 11 minutes long. We can't run a commercial every four songs if it's an 11 minute long song. So um, there's just so much elegance and heart and soul in this music and album that I have really grown to appreciate these past couple of weeks, especially. I just wanted to say that, and I'm hoping I'm not alone in, in that feeling. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And, and yeah, we've had a lot of people uh, who have said that, that there are musicians, people in the business. Uh, there's been uh, two or three big producers that uh, eventually became big producers who said they uh, cut their teeth on our album because they loved the, the musical part of it. Uh, we tried to, when we uh, did the album, it was our goal to make each song have uh, some stability of its own, to be a, try to be a good pop song, not just to throw in sound effects and, you know, and just throw it out there and hope everyone likes it. We tried to make each song different and, and have a, you know, a, a good hook and be a, a, be a pop song, because we wrote pop songs. I mean, that's what we did. And, uh, and so, yeah, it, it's, it's rewarding, and uh, it's always nice to hear when people can actually appreciate and go, wow, you know, because there was good, these are great musicians playing on here. It wasn't just us. We had yeah. some of the best people in Atlanta playing on, on here. And, uh, yeah, so that, that was our goal to try to try to make each uh, song separately. I wanted to mention too, that, uh, uh, you're talking about the, the, uh, the patterns in, in the liner, uh, Billy Mitchell, I know you know who Billy Mitchell is. Billy is. Uh, yeah. The King of Kong. Yes. yes. Sure. He, sure. Yeah. yeah. King of Kong. And he's the pat, he's first guy to, take the Pac-Man machine, all the Pac-Man all the way. And uh, we've become good friends over the years and done some shows together and everything. And I got a prize of uh, sheet, one of the sheets where Billy, <laughs> Billy went in and looked at it. He says, you know, he said, some of these are wrong. So I made him sign the thing, you know, with and put in there what was wrong and everything. It's, it's one of my prized possessions. Oh, that Billy is Mitchell, awesome. That is uh, awesome. Put it on there. But, uh, yeah, we tried to we tried to write some we tried to write good pop songs. Well, you did, and that and that's a perfect segue. I'm going to bring up the discography of your website because another thing that I wasn't aware of is is you, there was a life before Pac-Man Fever, and you had some really big hits there as well. So I'm going to pull up your website and just show off the dis discography. Um, let me make sure. Okay, so my microphone's still here. We can't see you guys, but let's look at the singles. In 1980, there was Merry Christmas in the NFL with Willis the Guard, who was a DJ at the time. Um, that was uh, kind of, was that a regional, local, or, or national hit, that uh, NFL song? It was a national release and got played. Okay. It was not really a big hit, but it was played all over the country. Okay. Yeah. The one that I really wasn't aware of before doing my research here was the theme, the WKRP in Cincinnati. That was a huge show with Johnny Fever and Lonnie Anderson's and, and everything else. That that was huge. And so you guys, you did the original version as well as um, as well as the radio version of that song? Well, what happened is Steve Carlisle, who sang the original and also sang this, he was the original singer, uh, here in Atlanta, uh, the show uh, was developed by a guy that was from Atlanta. He was uh, in advertising business, and Hugh Wilson was his name. And, and Hugh uh, went out to California and got uh, had success out there with some things and developed that show uh, through Mary, Mary Tyler Moore. And, well, when they got the show, he came back to Steve and asked him to sing the theme song. Uh, but back in those days, theme songs for TV shows was you know 30 seconds 60 seconds they didn't they didn't do them too long so steve did the song and then in the show happened well uh we had some song regular songs that we uh made a deal for steve to sing and then when the label found out that steve had sung the theme song they go boy we we'd like to have put that out you know 
So we went in the studio and had to rewrite it and extend it, make it a full song and everything, and have Steve do it again. And that's that's how that came about. That's amazing. That's amazing. There's just so many here. I do want to play the E.T. I Love You because I think that's awesome. Hopefully you can talk about that a little bit more as well. Another great single. Then we get into our album. So Footprints in the Sand, was that uh, your own material that you released? Or was that because you had some where other artists sing songs you produced as well? Well, Footprints in the Sand was uh, at the time back in those days was a poem that was circulating uh, by an unknown, they said. Uh, and it was very inspirational. And, and we thought that uh, we just liked it and thought it was a, a inspirational thing that people would maybe like so we recorded that and it did really well it uh edgel groves a close friend of ours did the song and it was the number one song all over the place uh in in uh, country and in uh, uh what they called middle of the road at the time mm -hmm. uh it didn't really do anything pop but it, it was a very successful song and, and did very did very well yeah, and and we'll, and another thing too, which I'll play a clip from in a little bit. But Wreck It Ralph, I mean, it's kind of come full circle now, where uh, you know Disney does this big feature animation, and Disney now owns Pixar, you know, the company who's made Toy Story and right. everything else. And so this is a fully animated uh, feature film that's based on '80s video game characters, all the classics and some new ones. And and you guys did the title track to that, the Wreck It Ralph song, which is a great modern pop song as well. So that's kind of cool that you, you know it's still going. Yeah. Yeah, it was really a thrill to uh, to go in a theater and sit there and see your your name in the credits of a Disney movie. I mean, you yeah, know, that was, yeah. I, mean, I can't even express what that was like. But yeah, Disney called and said they had the song and and talk, talked about the movie and and that they were working on it and they wanted us to do the song. So we yeah, sure we do it. So uh, that was a just a, a big thrill. I mean, I you know I can't say any more except that it was. Uh, uh, sadly, Gary was not a part of it because he had just passed. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah. And I'll so, tell you, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll tell you one thing. I was watching Wreck It Ralph in the theater, enjoying it, and it got to the credits. I stayed for everything. That song starts playing, and I turned to the person I was with. I said, "Oh, you know what they should have done is they should have got the Buckner and Garcia group to do a song <laughs> for this movie." And when I saw the credits scroll and said that, I was just stunned that anybody at Disney had that kind of foresight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they they did, and and hopefully uh, hopefully we'll be in the new one too. I don't know. We'll see. They're still yeah. working on it, but we're hopeful that we maybe do a new song for it. I don't know. We'll see. Let me, let me just take a quick moment to acknowledge everybody who's in the chat right now, and we'll get to some of these questions. But um, Paco Atakte is here, a friend of ours. David Ladd, Panda Gamers here. Rex from the Simply Magic Gamers is here. Jesse Jones is here. Cave Weasel stopped by. Um, Brian McCann is here, a former coworker of mine, um, and uh, and Jesse Jones. And so we've had some, you know, we've had some of the questions like, is the album still available now? And and the answer is yes, it's available through a website you have called the Pac-Man Vault, which we'll we'll run a commercial for in a second here and show that but yeah, i just wanted to say hi to everybody who's watching as well because we are people are watching us live so thanks guys for being here um so yeah as we continue to go through this discography here there's just there's just a ton of things you guys have done before you know what we most well uh, we are most well known for as well as now you have some television soundtracks i'm not familiar with the gift of the magi maybe i should be um shame on me but um, this is, so you got soundtrack work, um, video game soundtracks from Frogger, Lollipop Chainsaw, I, I know is a pretty popular franchise. It's got attractive girls fighting each other and stuff. And obviously, I got, let me stop you. On, let me okay. stop you now. We, we, didn't, <laughs> we didn't realize how violent that. Ah, <laughs> and, uh, okay. If we had it to do over again, I don't know that we would, you know, I, I, I know it's a big game. People like it. But boy, when we, when we saw it when it came out, it was like, okay. 
What yeah. track is on there? Pac-Man Fever. Oh, okay. Um, of course. <laughs> well, so so one of the one of the interesting historical anecdotes is that Pac-Man Fever is the first song to be based on a video game. And and now we have life imitating art where a video game has now been using your songs. And so was it 2010 that these songs were added to the rock band lineup? Yes, yeah. Yeah, they added so, all those. And so they're supposed to be, uh, I think they called a few months ago, they're supposed to be doing it again or something. I, I, I can't keep track of it, but it, there may be a, a new, some new stuff coming out. I don't know. You guys will probably know more about that than I would. Okay, well, there's a clip from your website I like to play that just shows the rock band game. And if you guys are not familiar, rock band is kind of like Guitar Hero, and you can have people playing the songs and you perform the song and, and to the thing. So I thought that was kind of cool to see this commercial, um, this little promo for the game. So let me run that clip real quick. That's so cool. There's so much to cover, and I don't want to take up all your time. But there's so many things we haven't even gotten into the rest of the song. So, how are you doing on time, for us, Jerry? Are you are you able? I'm, to I'm okay for. I'm okay for a little longer, yeah. All right. Let, let's get into some more of the songs from the album. And you've given me a bunch of other things to play, too. I want to talk about some of your current projects as well and um, and some alternate versions of the, of the songs that, as they were originally recorded. I've got some of those as well. So let me just go ahead, and I'm going to play through some of the clips of, um, of the rest of the Pac-Man Fever album. Is that okay with everybody? Yep. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and do that. I'm going to go ahead and now we're going to hit track two, which is Froggy's Lament, which was a song that you mentioned you wanted to also be a single, and they chose Donkey Kong over this. But this is a pretty cool yeah. song, too, based on Frogger. So we're going to go ahead and run this one. Yeah. 
great track great track great great pop song i know in your in your um in your commentary and I'll, I'll i'll go ahead and plug that next but in your commentary what you did on your 35th anniversary was it 30th or 35th anniversary of pac-man when you guys it was 30 35th i think in 2015 I believe, 35th yeah. anniversary of pac-man you released a 35th anniversary of this album with commentary and you talked about how you even created the sounds and with the uh synthesizer and and now here's the funny thing i've always heard it pronounced moog as well the moog synthesizer another great uh, 80s icon instrument but i actually have a friend who works for them and he's telling me it's actually pronounced mo but I've always pronounced it Moog. It's spelled Moog. It sounds like Moog. It reads like Moog. But yeah, you were talking about how you layered the, the string sounds and everything else. So it was very cool. I definitely suggest everybody is, is going to do this. So I'll right before I run the uh, video, which is promoting the Pac-Man Vault, I'm going to tell you why everybody should do this. Because I first bought the album on Amazon. I think it was $9 for just the Pac-Man Fever album. For $4.99, you can go to the Pac-Man Fever Vault, get the original album, get the anniversary edition, and tons of bonus content as well so it is it is an incredible value um and and we're using some of those clips here now so let me go ahead and run your commercial talking about the pac-man vault so if I, so because some of one of the questions that did come up was hey is, is the album still available for sale and yes it is i also still want to say a quick hello to nick morentis from australia who's just joined us too good eye nick good eye and um nick shares an interesting piece of um trivia with pac-man too because he rewrote the pac-man game for our computer the computer that brought alan and curtis and i together the radio shack color computer Nick Morentes rewrote the game, um, his own reinterpretation of the game, which is pretty cool, and it's a very, it's a very close um, facsimile of that game. So, hi, Nick. Um, I'm going to go running ahead in the background of Alan's uh, screen too. So. Oh, okay. I don't know if we'll be able to see that. So, I'm going to go ahead and play this um, uh, commercial right now for the Pac-Man Fever Vault, which I highly encourage everybody to uh, check out. Hi, I'm Jerry Buckner of Buckner and Garcia, and I want to tell you about our website called the Pac-Man Fever Vault. It's a special membership site for our fans that's filled with a library of our songs, pictures, interviews, memorabilia, videos, and more. You get songs from all three of our albums, including the songs you're listening to now from the Pac-Man Fever album. You also get the songs from the Now and Then album and songs from the Pac-Man Fever 35th anniversary album featuring commentary from me on each song. There's over 30 more songs included, many of which have never been released. We also have a whole section of videos featuring a rare performance homemade video of Gary and I doing Pac-Man Fever along with the studio band. There's a lot more to see and hear, and you get all of this for just a one-time payment of $4.99 for a lifetime membership. Whether you're a fan, classic gamer, or you just love the 80s, this site is for you. Now here's some of the songs you're going to get. Pac-Man Fever Original Version Remake. Pac-Man Fever Eat'em Up 2015, an updated version from 2015. Do the Donkey Kong, Froggy's Lament, Ode to a Centipede, Hyperspace, The Defender, Mousetrap, and Gone Berserk, and E.T. I Love You, an updated version of the original release in 1982. And you'll get these original unreleased songs written by us, Hostage, With a Girl Like You, Last Night, I See the Light, a special song Gary wrote and performed, Mr. T, Loose in the Streets, and a remake of Funky Broadway. And we've included some songs written by us that were recorded by other artists. Themed to WKRP in Cincinnati, recorded by Steve Carlisle, produced by us, and written by Hugh Wilson. Don't Hang Up, You Told a Lie, both songs recorded also by Steve Carlisle, written and produced by us. Merry Christmas in the NFL, 
a song written by us and recorded by Willis the Garth. Pretty Thing, another original Buckner and Garcia song, recorded by a band called Choice, produced by Bruce Blackman, who wrote and performed Moonlight Feels Right. And that's not all the songs. There's a lot of music on here. Three albums worth, along with the interviews, personal photos, stories, and memorabilia. So place your order now, just $4.99 for a lifetime membership to the Pac-Man Fever Vault. And thanks for all your support. We really appreciate it. Let us know how you like the vault, too. Thanks for watching. That's cool. That PacmanFeverVault.com is the link. I will um, I will put a link in this video when we're done. We got about a dozen people watching us live right now. We've had up to like 20 or 30 at one point in time. I guess I guess I'm turning everybody off at, at some point. I should shut up. So um, we have a lot of things queued up to talk about. But Jerry, why don't you tell us what you'd like us to talk about next as far as what clips you'd like us to play. You've given me a lot of material. Um, I definitely want to respect your time and, and get to some things that you are, you know you want everybody to be aware of. Uh, well, I, 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 we've covered a lot of it. Uh, the, the, the new video, Pac-Man Fever, eat them up, uh, video. I'm glad, you know, to talk about that. Uh, we, uh, many, I, I guess some of the fans know that we were involved in the Waffle House songs. <laughs> One of my favorite, uh, places, Waffle House, which is, they're all over the country. Uh, if you guys, the Waffle House is where you are, I would imagine. Yeah, I have them in Florida. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I'm three hours for me to get to a Waffle House. Wow. Yeah. Well, we're I'm in Canada, so it's a bit of a distance. <laughs> okay. Well, um, the company's based here, and uh, uh, the uh, owner was a good friend of mine, and uh, uh, and his wife uh, Mary uh, Rogers. And Mary was a great singer, worked in uh, with a lot of big stars in Vegas for a long time. And uh, anyway, they decided at one point they wanted to form a label called Waffle House Records and put jukebox songs in the jukeboxes that you know they weren't really commercials, but they could kind of you know set an atmosphere and kind of promote things so they asked me to come in and work with them and i did and uh that was 85 i think and so we worked on those songs and people seemed to like them and you know and and enjoy it and all that so um there were some songs that naturally we did that didn't make it for whatever reason uh were not put on the jukebox so we thought well maybe you folks would like to hear those so there's i think maybe 11 12 songs and we put them on an album called the waffle house, the lost waffle house tapes okay and uh if you if you're a big waffle house fan and you like the songs these are songs never heard before they were never released some of them are demos some are completed some are you know whatever in between but it's just kind of fun and you know if you, if you have a friend that likes waffle house they can you know it could be a nice uh, a gift or whatever if you want to send it to them we're just for fun to listen to so yeah there where we do we a, get this I, I actually have a clip. We... I have a clip of the website. You want me to go ahead and pull up the website? I've got a little clip of, uh, of your little demo song for that too. Yeah, yeah. If you want. To. Okay, let me go ahead and pull that up. It's uh... there. We go. There you go. You can order this through iTunes if you want that, and it will actually be available on cassette. Cassettes are kind of making a comeback. So that will be on cassette. The digital is available right now. We're, we're on all the wherever digitals are sold. We're on all of them, including iTunes. This is how I found out about the Pac-Man Fever uh, connection. I was actually calling to order the original CD when I first saw a sign in a Waffle House. Yeah, so that that's what they said. The Pac-Man Fever thing. They're working on a new version of the album, and that's what pulled me back in because of Waffle House. 
All right, sorry uh, about that, guys. There was music playing too, so I don't think everybody heard what you were saying. But you're saying this is also available on iTunes, but it's it's WaffleHouseRecords.com is the website that's going to be able to have people get to this. Uh, well, I think it's WaffleHouseSongs.com. Yeah, WaffleHouseSongs.com. Yeah. yeah. Um, we have a question in the chat too from Jesse Jones. He's saying, "Do you see any similarities between Angry Birds' popularity and Pac-Man?" And will, and will you guys consider doing an Angry Birds song? <laughs> well, that's the question. Uh, Angry Birds was a very was and I guess still is a very successful game. Uh, and yeah, we did. We actually did a demo of a song. We had an idea for it, and uh, and we did it. Uh, could never get with the company. It was the most uh, strangest thing we ever went through. Uh, our manager uh, could not get return phone calls and so forth. Uh, we don't know what happened, so uh, hmm. it never came out. It's and and we're afraid to release it at all because we don't want to get sued. Because sure. We do, but it's really a very cool song, and uh, and and sadly we were not able to make you know make a deal with them. But uh, yeah, we we actually you know and we don't do that with every game we see. With that one, we thought you know now as far as compared to Pac-Man, no, it's not even close. Uh, it's it's you can't even describe. I mean, Pac-Man people were literally standing lines of people to play the game. And, right. Uh, you know, you don't see that. I mean, of course, Angry Birds is a, is a uh, mobile game, but uh, yes. it's I've, nothing Nothing compares to Pac-Man, you know. I've heard Did stories how they, in, in Japan, when this was first released, that they ran out of their coin currency because it was all going into the machines faster than it could be circulated back into the economy. So, <laughs> Well, you know, I had a chance to uh, meet... Uh, I had a chance to meet Uroa uh, Tawani, uh, if I pronounce it right, uh, who uh, created the game. Uh, I met him in Chicago uh, about a year and a half ago. and A great guy. He doesn't speak English. He has an interpreter with him. But I thought, you know, I don't know what his thoughts are. Well, we were, we were introduced. We're standing there, uh, whatever. And he leans over to me in my ear, and he softly goes, Pac-Man fever. I got Pac-Man fever. He <laughs> <laughs> uh, Oh, man. We... Uh, we were asked to perform uh, a, a lip sync to, in this uh, particular place. It was uh, Club 257 in Chicago that, that Nintendo owns. And so we did a little performance. And he came out. There was a TV crew from Japan following him. He came out and danced on the dance floor to the song. Which I oh, thought wow. Was, and just That's a nice guy and uh, enjoyed meeting him. Amazing memories. Along that line, did you guys ever consider doing a, a sequel to, like, to Miss Pac-Man, which actually became even more popular than Pac-Man itself in the arcades? Was that ever a consideration? No, we we never uh, never really you know got that far. I mean, the album was so uh, what we were doing was so big and moving, you know. And we didn't we weren't thinking in terms of doing any more game songs. Right, uh, right. And, and not that we're ungrate not that we're ungrateful. Uh, I love I'm I'm you know thrilled to be uh, you know we're really a part of pop culture because of it, and so that's great, you know. Uh, but you know we were hoping to do some you know other move on to some other things. Uh, and speaking of E.T., I love you. That was really kind of what we were hoping to slide into the next phase. Uh, right. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. Yeah, I'd like to play a clip from that. I do have I have a couple of questions, though, because you mentioned that um, Disney approached you guys to do Wreck-It Ralph. I was really surprised, and I don't know if you were approached when the movie Pixels came out in 2015, because that was a huge video game theme movie, and Pac-Man was a big part of that. Did they contact you guys at all? No, it's a mystery. I have no idea. They, yeah. why they everybody, we, we had tons of emails and tons of people saying, why is your song not in that movie? And I said, I don't, don't ask me. And when, uh, when the various people were on TV promoting it, uh, never said a word about yeah. it. And 
I I don't know to this day. I don't know. Yeah, it's insane. Don't know what happened. Um, you've had you've had a unique situation where you have released uh, successful music in the '80s. Uh, you did it again in the '90s with um, re-releasing uh, the album on compact disc, and then again in in 2012 for Wreck-It Ralph. And, and of those three times, which one was the most lucrative for you as far as you know the sales and and you know all that kind of stuff? Oh well, of course, Pac-Man by far. I mean, it uh, uh, it. <laughs> It just sold, you know, it's just amazing. I mean, it just sold yeah. so much. I mean, uh, it was always a pleasure to go to the mailbox and uh, pick up the checks. Yeah. Are you still getting residuals now? Oh, yeah. 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 Still, That's we, great. Yeah. We That's get a great. lot of play on satellite radio. Uh, somebody the other day, uh, people will send me, you know, when they hear it, they'll let us know they hear it. But yeah, we, uh, it actually, the, the airplay is kind of increasing. Uh, and we also get, uh, there's a fair amount for Wreck It Ralph. Uh, gets uh, play, yeah, yeah. I'd actually uh, believe it or not. It. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that uh, uh, still yeah, we still get royalties. Not not like we did then, but we still get. Sure, sure. So you know, in 1982, when I purchased this album, and I think I was about 14, and of course I'm a kid playing Pac-Man, spending my quarters like everybody else, and I bought the album like everybody else. I never would have imagined in, in 1982 that I would have the honor to speak to the person who made this. Um, and, and, and now I'm talking to you and you're talking to me on your iPad and, you know, technology has changed a lot since 1982. Um, how has technology affected, uh, how you record? Because I would imagine in 82, you guys were still using probably analog, like reel to reel tapes and everything else. And, you know, 1999, you went digital in 2012, you're, you're doing it again. Um, what's, what, what changes have you noticed and what do you think has been changes for the better or for the worse? Well, I love the new technology. I think it's great. Uh, I mean, I, I can do so much here. My little, I just have a little studio here, and mm -hmm. uh, but I can do demos, pretty much everything. Uh, and if I want to get a, a vocalist, I can send it over to somebody. They'll sing it and send it back. So that part is great. I mean, if you're going to cut a serious record, I would still want to go in a, a regular studio, but you don't have to. I mean, there's tons of hits that sure. people are cutting in their bathroom and garage, you know, with all this technology. The interesting thing about it is in those days, as you say, it was just tape and everything. And it used to be a joke about, uh, I don't know where this came from, but it used to be a joke about, uh, yeah, I'm going to call my part in tomorrow on the phone. Everybody would laugh, you know, by calling your phone. Well, now, of course, <laughs> you know, you can you can send your, you know, call your phone, call your part in if you want. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but I think it's great. The, the only thing is sometimes... Uh, the the human feel to a song can kind of get lost, especially if it's a, uh, uh, you know, like the old records, Sam and Dave records, and Wilson Pickett, and all those great records. You know, you really want that human feel in there, not the machine. Uh, sure, for me, it's, sure. Uh, like auto tune and all that kind of stuff that's become popular. Yeah, you know, uh, but but uh, but but all in all, I think it's great. I mean, like what we're doing now, this is just great, and and I can do so many things now myself. So I I love the technology. That's great. Uh, what do you think about, you know, you guys, you are real musicians. You, you record, you, you were working musicians before this hit. You, 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 you were lucky enough to strike gold. But, you know, in the past 15 years now, we've had things like American Idol and The Voice and, and all these reality shows where people can become really an overnight pop star. What, what do you think about that change in um, music? Well, I'm always... Uh anyone that can achieve success I, I congratulate them in whatever way you can do it i really do it's so tough i mean it's it's just so hard to achieve success in any way so i i, I think it's it's great um 
but I, I think that sometimes I think and and I I believe there's probably plenty of stories out there from some of the winners. Uh, I think if you go into that and you don't have a lot of experience, it it can be kind of a negative for you. Uh, and and you may not if you make some money, maybe you don't take care of your money or or you know or or, or you uh, you don't have any input into the songs or you know whatever. And and that can you know lead you down or down the rabbit holes. Uh, so in that sense, I think it could be rough on the on the person. But uh, but then there's many people who have done done very well. I think some of the contracts on those shows are pretty brutal. Uh, but then, you know, they were brutal in the 50s and 60s. Uh, we were very fortunate. Our management people, Arnie Geller, they were great people. And, and uh, But, you know, in the 50s, it was awful. I mean, these people would uh, record records and, and not get anything for them. Wow. So that's always been uh, been a part of it. But uh, it, all in all, uh, you know, I mean, I think some of the folks, I mean, you know, you hear some people and you go, wow, you know, I can, I can think of 10 people here in town that are better than this person singing. But, you know, you go on there, you you know, they, they got a story, they go do it, and congratulations, you know, you, if you if you can do it. Yeah. And yeah. Do, you, do, you, do you, did like, speaking of management and management decisions, did you guys actually retain full control of your songs, too? Because that was a big thing back then that a lot of people kind of gave away the rights, and then, you know, the record company or whoever else would make all the money, and then you guys would be left out. But did you, do you guys have good enough management that you guys kept all your rights? Yeah, well, we kept our writers' rights. Yeah, the publishing uh, we had it was a publishing company that uh, we had an agreement with, part of our recording agreement, uh, and it was a, it, a very good deal. Still, still is, and uh, that was fine. It's funny things kind of go in in a circle. Uh, in those days, you, the the money was uh, you made the the bulk of the money in in performance uh, and uh, in publishing. You made you made money on record sales, but uh, the companies, uh, you know, it worked like that. But now. Uh, because of the things have changed, now the record companies want a piece of your live stuff. If you go play live, if you wow. whatever you do, or they want a part of your writers, you know, because that performance money from the radio and all, you know, that's not there anymore like it once was. You know, people are using the internet, and there's so far you you know, you've got to really to make money in the internet, you've got to really just you know have a ton of uh, of views and yep. uh, or, or sell it and. Not many people. Most people want free music. You know, they don't want to right. pay for music. That's true. So it's a different business now, and uh, it's it's just it's just kind of gone in a circle. But yeah, we we were very fortunate and uh, uh, had had good people, uh, management people. Studio. He's talking about studios uh, not always having the artists at best interest, or maybe not making the best decisions because um, you know uh, the E.T. I Love You song, which if you don't mind, I'd like to play it in a minute. It's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful ballad. It's it, it to me. This is this is not your quote unquote video game song. This song could have been played on any radio station. I think anybody the contemporary music of the time and even today, I think it holds up very well. And they made the decision to not promote the song or make it even part of the album i, I mean does that drive you crazy and what well, do you think would have changed if it had if america got yeah, a if, wind of this well you know, try to condense the story about that uh that's a special song for us um and, and actually it wasn't but the album had already been out and and uh you know the movie was that summer of 82 okay and, uh, i saw the movie and and it i thought it was incredible so i told gary and arnie everybody we all went to see it the next night again and uh at the time, I had just lost a beautiful dog I had. I loved this dog. It was a great dog. And I was really sad and everything. And I wrote out this little melodies, you know, trying to work through my sadness and this little song. Well, as soon as I saw that movie, 
I realized that the little character was could be the instead of my dog could be the little character. So I played that for everybody. They go, man, yeah, that's great. So Gary and I uh, sat down and wrote the song completely and the lyrics and everything, and uh, and and they flew it to New York to our record company overnight. I mean, the next morning, Arnie flew up there. He says it's unbelievable. He said the girls were crying and the secretaries. It was so beautiful they could hear the song. So then next he flies out to California to meet with the Spielberg people. And he says, I'm sitting there in the office. And he said, Spielberg's off. I'm still sitting in the lobby waiting to go in. And he said, he's playing the record over and over again. It's loud. Wow. He said, it's loud over and over and over, like uh, before they called me in there. And he said, uh, he said, I think, uh, he said, I think they're going to recall the movie to put the song in there. He said, they didn't oh, wow. say that, but it, the way they're acting and, and implying things they're saying. So we were like, on cloud nine because as you say this song was a, a regular ballad and we thought that would really uh help us uh, to pivot into uh, uh to the next level that we wanted to go to with our music and uh within a couple of days all of a sudden the communication was cut off and then we found out that neil diamond had this song uh heartlight and that he, neil diamond was on the same label we were and he was a huge artist and uh so you know he had the connections and everything so they held our song and put his out and it was a very tough time for us you know uh they eventually put it out because they had to or we could have sued him but it was three four months later and neil diamond had taken all the thunder interestingly enough the song where it got played was just the number one requested song where they did play it and i met a guy years later uh in a radio guy and he says you know i was in the west coast at the time your song came out he said we would play it and he said it was like number one requested song. And I kept telling the promotion guy, this record is a smash. And he said, finally, the guy says, forget that record. It's over. It's done. It ain't going to happen. And he said, I couldn't believe it. So we quit playing it. But that they, you know, they killed it. But uh, it, was, it was really sad. But yeah, it was uh, it was a, a very heartfelt song, meant a lot to us. And it was a tough, tough pill to swallow to not, not have it happen. I bet. Will you mind if I play it now? Uh, okay, do. okay, we're gonna we're gonna play it. It is beautiful. You came to me on a summer night. Stranger with nowhere to go Miles from home All alone You were left behind in a world you didn't know Remember you forever 
Yeah, that is absolutely beautiful. It is such a beautiful ballad, and, and, and Gary's voice is just so clean and so angelic coming through there. I mean, the man had incredible range as, as a singer and just so much soul. I mean, I'm really, really appreciating this. You know, it's, 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 just, it's amazing music, you know. How, how's well, it doing now? What's that? How, how's the how's the how's the song doing now, or is it just is it really only available through like these this uh, Pac-Man Vault and yeah. everything? Yeah, it's it's you know, uh, it's it gets a little bit of play on online, you know, on some of the okay. song services, but not another, too many people know it. Another good reason to go to the uh, Pac-Man Vault, Pac-Man Fever Vault, and, and get there you this go. and a lot of other stuff. Yeah, we have a yep. question from Nick Morentis from Australia saying, "May I ask what synth was used for ET? I Love You? Was it a DX7?" Uh, I'm sorry. What what, what was used? What synthesizer? What, what what keyboard did you use to uh, to? Oh, that, that was. Uh, well, I did. I, I'm not sure. I I couldn't hear. Did you play the original version or the remake? I played the the new one from the Vault. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, that's when I had drums on it, right? Mm, I didn't get that long. I only I, I didn't get I only got up to like the first chorus. Okay. Well, originally the song was done on piano. Uh, the the one that came out in 1982 okay. was done on piano, and I used a Korg for the strings on it and for the pads. Uh, the newer version, I actually let uh, I don't say let, but had uh, another guy play the keyboard parts, and I I'm not sure what he used. Uh, it probably was a Korg, but I don't know. Uh, but I didn't actually play it on the new one. I didn't play the keyboard, so I'm sorry. I don't remember. But on the original, it was just piano and Korg. That's beautiful. It's beautiful. I got a lot of stuff to play here, but I, I don't want to. I don't want to wear everybody thin. So I think it's probably worthy to play Wreck It Ralph, and then I thought it would be good too to show some of your um, various versions of the song, like the original version versus the um, the album version. So maybe we'll do Record okay. Ralph, and then I'll do like the I'll do like your demo tape of Defender, and then play the album cut of Defender. Does that sound good? Okay. Okay. So let me go ahead and do that right now. Let me get uh, let me go ahead and play Record Ralph because this is one of the most current things right now, and this is just you know carrying everything forward right now. Um, Record Ralph from 2012 from the Great Disney uh, Movie. Enjoy. Wreck-It Ralph is a giant of a man, nine feet tall with really big hands. In a stump on his very own land Until his world went crazy He was minding his own business on the day they came They showed a piece of paper saying in the domain They built an apartment building saying progress was to blame So he got mad and he turned bad Brick by brick he's gonna take his land back Break it, break it round as fast as you can all right did you say you have like five minutes left to go five ten minutes left to go yeah ten minutes or so yeah okay okay all right so why don't why don't we do this go ahead i'm sorry i hope that wasn't we've been we've been showing each other signs has that been going out over the <laughs> no 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 i'm watching it i'm watching it <laughs> i was i'm showing up one of my I'm showing one of my favorite new things. Yeah, oh, brownie, brownie brittle. brittle. <laughs> I, wish I, I had a piece of this. 
Yeah, no, nothing wrong with giving plugs. I like how you also mentioned on the uh, Centipede song, you guys gave a plug to Nike because it's saying how the Centipede for Nike sneakers. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up. I can't thank you enough. We're not ending, but we're 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 getting we're consciously getting towards the end here. So I thought I think it'd be good right now. I'm gonna play the Defender work tape. Now you, we just talked about this a minute ago. Right now, right now you've got a mini studio at home. But when you did this, what type of was it like? Literally like a little mini cassette recorder thing when you recorded this, or something a little bit fancier than that? It, it was uh, it was I, I had a, a little spinet piano, and we would sit down and and, uh, and work on stuff. And I had a tape deck. Uh, in fact, it's sitting here on the floor. I still have it. This one of the big uh, cassette decks they had back in the '80s, and uh, I had to sit on the piano. And and the demos for us working on the songs would just be piano and and me singing or Gary, depending on who was working on it at the time. And that's what's that's what's on this one. It's very crude. But I right. thought people might enjoy it. Yeah, so I'm going to go ahead and play that right now. This is the Defender work tape. This is you playing and singing just to kind of work out the structure of the song, right? And you can see why Gary's the singer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. So that is really cool. That's a very that is definitely part of something that I would consider it should be in a vault. That's a gem. So that's that. Let me go ahead and play now with what it sounded like on the album. And you can hear the similarities. Now, the, now what you said your favorite song on the album, one of your favorite songs was Ode to a Centipede. Yeah, I always liked that. I liked the melody on it. Yeah, I loved, yeah, yeah. I love the guitar solo in it. Uh, yeah. Uh, Chris Bowman played the guitar. Chris Bowman played guitar on the whole album other than Pac-Man Fever. But I just, yeah, I always liked the, I thought it was just a melodically a, a good song. It, it definitely is. All right, so let's let's hear a little quick uh, clip of the album version of The Defender now. So there was the demo, and here's the final product. A lot of the structure still stayed there. It's really yeah. cool. It's really yeah. cool. 
Uh, I also wanted to mention something. Somebody who wanted to be in the interview but could not uh, be here to ask the question live, but Glenn Planamento, another fellow retro podcaster and YouTuber, um, says he wanted to let you know that he wore out a few needles on your record and he really enjoys your LP. So that's from Glenn. <laughs> so Thank you, Glenn. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so much stuff, so much stuff to cover. Um, uh, what else? We can we can do it again sometime. We yeah, can, we'll do that. We'll do that. Um, Alan or Curtis, any final questions or thoughts? And then I do have a little clip I want to play at the end as well. I'll let Alan go first because he hasn't had a, too much chance to talk. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's you. Go ahead. I okay. just had to get my Waffle House hat. Uh, I have a whole <laughs> Waffle House shrine. It's my favorite okay. restaurant. Hold on, let me zoom in okay. on that real quick. Hold well, on. let me just tell you yeah. that, 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 that the food there actually it's 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 pretty good quality food, better than most of the fast food places. Oh, it's no doubt. I've, and I've never had a waffle there. I've I've had pork chops and steak. And you know, I noticed names on old school games. Danny Jones, he's one of the old Waffle House singers. The Raisin Toast song. Yeah, Danny Jones. I, I didn't. Also, yeah. Close friend of mine. We've worked together for years. We still work together. He sang. He sang Wreck It Ralph. And, really? Uh, oh, you're right. That's probably where I saw it first. He sang Wreck It Ralph, and and he worked on pretty much all the Waffle House songs. We've done a ton of songs together. Worked on songs with other artists, and and uh, uh, he's uh, just a, a good buddy, close buddy. And I want to mention Mike Stewart. If I don't know if Mike's even watching, but uh, Mike is also uh, a close friend and part of the band, and. Uh, original band and, and the three of us are kind of the core of everything so um yeah danny i hope i don't know if danny's watching either but uh he, he's an incredibly uh uh talented guy it's amazing how many things i love you guys have been responsible uh you know or been involved in well i'm glad we we're just happy you know we we just you know we make pop music we don't claim to be anything you know other than that and and it's been fun doing that and i'm glad that people Love the stuff then. I'm 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 so pleased they love it now. I'm uh, I just enjoy meeting folks. Everyone's got stories, you know. When we do some appearances, and I, I enjoy hearing the stories and talking to them, and uh, it, it, it's it's just great. Uh, Brian McCann in the chat says, "Before we wrap up, I just want to say uh, what an honor it was to be part of this." Thanks, Brian. I agree, hundred percent. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> And Bill Noble just uh, chiped in and said he agrees with Brian on that, yeah. that sentiment. And here's uh, Canadian Curtis. How's it going, eh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Are you anyway, cold I, up I there? One, uh, sorry, go ahead. Are you cold up there? Is it pretty cold in Canada? Uh, actually, we're above freezing now, so snow's melting away, so that's kind of nice. Oh, okay. Colder than Georgia. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, I would think, yeah. I, I had one last question. Um, I'm more on the songwriting side of things here. Um do you have a preferred way of writing? Do you normally do lyrics first, then the music, or do you do music and then the lyrics? Or does it just change depending on the song? Yeah, it can change. Usually I get an idea for the song, and uh, generally it's the chorus or hook part that comes to my mind, and that's what I start with uh, and uh, and mumble through for lyrics. You know, you don't have any. Um, it, for me, it's it's just it's tough writing a song. Uh, I I love to write them. But I, each song I write, I want it to be, you know, perfect, and, and they never are. Uh, but, uh, yeah, usually I start with the chorus hook, then I'll work on the verses. And, uh, uh, and then, you know, you, you, if you like it, you, you know, you're happy, you know. <laughs> uh, right. If you don't, then, uh, you know, throw it away. I, I, met, uh, I knew this guy one time, and he used to say, yeah, I write 20 songs a day, and I want to go, how about writing just one good one, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> most of them were stunk. <laughs> But it's really tough. It's really tough to uh, 
uh, you know, to write a, a great song. And, uh, and, and so I, I work at, I've been very fortunate to be a part of a few and I just, uh, am blessed in that way. And I, I and, and I'm happy, but, uh, yeah, I would do chorus, uh, hook and then, uh, then the verses and changing stuff up to the, even in the studio, changing words, you know, to the last minute, uh, cause you want it to flow. And I love, I'm crazy about phrasing, uh, words and phrasing when you're in the studio. Because uh, you want everything to flow, and and uh, but that's how I do it. Okay, that's very cool, and I I can't encourage enough that everybody needs to go to PacmanFeverVault.com. I will put a link in this video as well. Um, it, it's there's so much content in there, and I've enjoyed listening to your commentary on the uh, 35th anniversary edition on the oh, songs and the artists and the recording and uh, things that you liked and how you like play centipede in a minor key and and everything else it's uh you know so definitely make sure everybody heads over to pacmanfeververault.com um i can't thank you enough jerry buckner i also want to thank jerry garcia for his music as well but today we're talking to jerry buckner gary i'm just going to screw this up for i'm going to screw it up forever but jerry buckner of buckner and garcia i can't thank you enough for taking the time out of your day now out of curiosity because this past two days you've been emailing me saying i'm working late in the studio what are you working on now are you able to share that I'm working on a faith-based song right now, and uh, it, it's I think it's a pretty good song, and uh, working uh, real hard on that. And I also I also do voice acting now too. Okay. And got into that, and I enjoy doing that. I have have fun doing characters, and uh, and the checks clear. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's a beautiful so thing. That's it. a beautiful that, thing. That's what's consuming my time. Yeah. Yeah, I I you know I never would have imagined and had this opportunity to, to talk to you. You're such a uh, an important part of of American history and, and pop music and pop culture and video game history, which I'm all Thanks. about. Um, so thank you so much. I what I want to what you. I want to go ahead. Sorry, I cut you off. I just want to say thank you, all you guys. I enjoy talking to you guys. And anytime, I'd love to come back and we could do some more. Excellent. So what I want to close with is I want to close with a, a clip um, of, of Gary Garcia himself. So something else you mentioned on the uh, Pac-Man Fever Vault in the uh, anniversary thing is you have a recorded interview with Gary. And it was one of the last times he got to speak about this project um, before he passed, unfortunately. So I thought it would be nice to close the interview to hear some of, of Gary's final words. So is that okay? Sure. I miss him every day. I, I, I can feel that. I'm, I'm feeling it too. So uh, let's, let's hear from Gary for a minute here. What will this craziness do to your lives? Will you stay as record producers and writers? Will it take you into other fields? Where's it going to go from here? Uh, well, the new album's coming out, and it's got a lot of other video game material songs on it. More? <laughs> oh, we got, a, we got a whole bunch of them. We've got songs like Do the Donkey Kong, Ode to a Centipede, Froggy's Lament, all game songs, Mousetrap, Berserk. And it, uh, it's opening up a lot of avenues that we weren't uh, expecting, so we're just kind of going to follow the road and take it wherever it leads us. In retrospect, how do you feel about the Pac-Man Fever album? I'm very happy with how it turned out, especially for the short time that we had to put it together. I think looking back on it, that we did a great job of mixing the sound effects and the games with the, the songs that we thought were pop songs, and uh, I'm very happy with it. I think it stands the test of time.
And I think stands the test of time is the best way to ex explain and describe the Pac-Man Fever album. So I want to thank you again, Jerry Buckner. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Nice talking to you. And thank you, everybody on YouTube who is watching this live. We appreciate you being here.